1: everybody, welcome aboard another great episode of the Swing Second Sports Podcast. I'm your host, John Schofield. Joining me is co-host Ward Carroll, special guest from the Capital Gazette, Bill Wagner, and our producer is Chris Cervello. Uh, today is Thursday, February 3rd, 2022, and we are here to break down what is the midpoint of the Navy basketball season. We're going to do that with special guest Mike Heary, the co-voice of Navy basketball with Pete Medhurst. Uh, And in particular, we're going to break down the most recent games. That includes the scenario against American Mike, and then last night's really, really quizzical 22 run, uh, giving up basically everything in the last four minutes and 49 seconds and losing a one-point heartbreaker to Lehigh. Um, You and I were texting a little bit this morning about what this loss (laughs) does it contribute to the overall quality of the resume of the season so far? And and I know that you have some content on that. But first things first, number one, thanks for joining us. And number two, walk us through how last night happened.
2: Well, it's a tough one, John, because just a few games ago, they, they gave up a 27-point lead uh, to Army on their home floor. So, you know, you get into a game late, Um, they were up 17 in the second half, but really the way I looked at it was with under three minutes to go, they were up by 15, um, missed a shot. Lehigh gets a defensive rebound and it's, they're still up 15 with under three minutes to go. And between turnovers, missed shots, um, poor execution, um, handling the press, uh, from Lehigh, which don't think they didn't watch the army game and see kind of how we handled, you know, the full court pressure um, poorly in the army game and apply that to this game. And the next thing you know, you miss free throw here or there, the turnovers, as I said um, you don't close the deal and, and take care of the basketball. And, and that's how a team can come back. It, it seems like it's inexplicable that a team could do that. Uh, but, but when you don't make the winning plays down the stretch, you know these things could happen particularly on the road when Lehigh actually had uh for the first time in quite a while a pretty decent environment of of students and fans you know making some noise too so um very difficult loss for the program
1: yeah no one circles the wagons like the ladies and gentlemen of Stabler Arena so you <laughs> know before I take it over to Ward Mike you know I I view you as one of the better uh, free throw shooters in Navy uh, history, possibly in basketball history, somewhere not as good as Mark Price, but probably better than Eric Ebers. I am very, very concerned. And I've noted this on Twitter as we've watched games before. It's not just the misses from the line. It's when the misses happen at the end of the, towards the end of the game, front ends of one and ones that are really, really debilitating, and last night, I mean, we can talk about the Austin Inge inbounds play. We can talk about the free throws. But it comes down to, like, putting the fun back into fundamentals, as you like to say. What? How do you get out of this funk where the free throws are killing you every single time you lose?
2: That's the big thing, John, is, is the psyche of this team now. Because if you look at the wins they've had this year, particularly just in the league, because at this point in the game, you know, or this, I'm sorry, this point in the season, it doesn't matter in a way that you beat Virginia. I say that because it's so long ago that what you do in the league against the teams that know you best at this stage of the season is really all that matters. And unfortunately, they haven't been able to draw on making the winning plays, making clutch free throws late in the game when you're trying to seal the, the, the victory away with some of these recent you know, scenarios of, of losing big leads. Um, it's critical to make free throws down the stretch. They shot 17 for 22 as a, as a team, but you're absolutely right. Hidden within that was not making them down the stretch. And then the missed second opportunities when you don't make the front end of a one and one um, John Carter wasn't in the game late last night, which is a little bit of a surprise given that he is, you know, their best free throw shooter. Um, you know, you, you, you got to want the ball late in the game. Guys have got to, someone has got to want the ball and say, Hey, put, get on my back. I'm going to make the plays. When, when I say make the plays, it could be making free throws. And, um, it's one of the things that I really strongly relate to is not being afraid to be the guy in the moment, taking the shots. And, Uh, I kind of played that role when I played, and that's what I draw on. I was not afraid to say, okay, guys, we're going to live and die with my shot. Hassan Booker set a screen for me, and I'll shoot it. If we lose, I'd rather lose knowing it was on me missing shots than somebody else that I couldn't control the outcome with. So I I feel there's a psyche and tenor of this team that doesn't have – they have a guy and multiple guys – but those guys got to want the ball and and make the plays. And this is coming from a player's perspective analysis versus you know sort of the coaching X's and O's.
1: Not incredibly good analysis, Ford.
3: So Mike, I think you may have kind of answered my question with some of what you just said. But I think what we're seeing here, and what comes to mind, is the old saying: um, "You you you kind of have to try." To for the bad outcome to happen, you know, it, it it's almost like you, you try to flunk out, you try to go to an act board. You know, if you just didn't do anything, you you'd have a two zero. So you, it's almost like you have to try for the negative outcome. And so I think what we're seeing here with you know Lehigh a few weeks ago, Lehigh last night, Army it is it's almost this will to win. It's a subjective sort of thing. So what what are you seeing with respect to, let's just call it the intangibles and the spirit where this team has a tendency to either, you know, go to idle, you know, in the last five, three minutes or whatever, you know, whatever was working like Army, that they were on the rails. And then the second half and more, more acutely, the last half of the second half, it was a completely different team in the negative. So what is it that's happening there?
2: Yeah, Ward, I think that um, when this team is playing well, they're tremendous, and they can beat anybody in the league, and they can still be championship level. When they get out in front and things are going really well, they're awesome. Uh, when things start to shift over the course of a game and hit some level of adversity, What I don't see on the team, and again, I'm going to draw on what my experiences were and and a little bit of the way I played, there's a lot of great guys on the team that are flatline players, meaning they play a bit emotionless, and that is a tremendous quality to have. When you think about John Carter and Greg Summers, Daniel Deaver, they tend to play relatively emotionless, which is fine. But think about how many times you see guys hit shots or make plays and they pump their fist or they say let's go or they show emotion that I think you need to play with sometimes not every player on the roster needs to play like that but somebody has to have that sort of alpha emotion attached to the way they play I played a lot like that and some people made fun of me for that or joked about that (laughs) about me that I was maybe sometimes too emotional well guess what it's part of what you, you, I think you need to have and what they're lacking late in the game is part of what I said earlier is, you know, when you make plays, you got to look at each other, like, like player accountability late in the game is so critical. And, you know, um, you can't get guys or force guys to play a, a way that they've never played before. But I think what you, what, what you're seeing is when, when they're not, they run into these scenarios against Lehigh and Army or late in the game. And even before late in the game, there's, there's not that player or players that are playing with the emotion, I think, that players, other players feed off of. So that's one of my observations that I've noticed. There's other things you know, within the X's and O's perhaps. But, you know, look, the coaching staff has years of experience beyond me coaching. I, I haven't coached one game, but I've played it a lot. So I, I tend to see the player side of not having that intensity and emotion on the floor as being a concern for this team. I'll
4: jump in here. Uh, First off, fellas, it's hard to believe this could happen twice in less than two weeks. It it was less than two weeks ago. The Navy blew the 27 point lead to army and you wondered what would happen from that? Would Navy learn from it and make sure it now something similar never happened again or would it cause consternation as to what how it how it all went away so quickly and mike was right what he said earlier teams saw that other teams in the patriot league saw what happened in navy and how that lead disappeared so rapidly and look what happened Down 17 points, Lehigh played full court pressure, and Navy once again folded in the face of that pressure. And so my question to Mike Curie is, how are you going to correct that? And I'm wondering, kind of a lack of a true point guard. Greg Summers has never been a point guard his entire career at at Navy. He's been an off guard, and now he's playing the point. That might work fine in a half-court set when you just basically – making one pass to the wing and then initiating the offense. You run through, cut through. But under pressure, I mean, I can't see these – the way that Navy has mishandled the full-court pressure, I can't see that happening with someone like Brian Walker or O.J. Avaro, (laughs) a true point guard with great ball-handling ability. Sometimes – and again, I know you can't do it against two-on-two traps all the time, but a lot of cases – a great point guard just takes the ball and dribbles right through the backcourt into the frontcourt and clears it himself. What You tell me, Mike Carey, what do you see here?
2: You make a good point, Bill. And, and last night, Austin Inge played 19 minutes, um, had one point, um, and it was a free throw, one for two from the foul line, and he had zero assists. So I think that they have won a lot of games – without Austin Inge because of the injury. And then now they're in this mode of a certain starting lineup and Inge coming off the bench. And Greg Summers as a primary ball handler. I think there is something to the fact that when you don't have a as true a point guard playing as many meaningful minutes, I'd like to see Austin Inge, you know, play more or be more of the guy as the primary ball handler, um, perhaps, within the course of the game. So late in the game, he's been warmed up to the game to be able to do that. I mean, look, in the last play of the game, Jalen Walker throws the inbounds pass to Austin Inge in the corner where they keep throwing the ball in the corner, which is the worst possible spot to catch the basketball, particularly if you're not ready to make a quick move and dribble out of there. Or if Austin Inge is catching it, he's a little bit shorter. He has a hard, maybe perhaps a harder time seeing, you know, to make the next pass. I think they got to do a better job of trying to get the ball to the middle of the floor against the press as opposed to the coffin corner areas of you know, the far corners and, and different spots on the floor that are notorious for traps and double teams. But I think they got to look at Austin Inge's minutes and think about perhaps bringing him more into the fold earlier in the game, let him play through some stuff, so that later in the game he is that primary ball hander. It's it's something absolutely to take a look at and, and try to get going again. It's a combination of of making the right play, making the right pass, but also getting the ball um, in the in the inbounds in the proper areas of the floor. And also though, if you're gonna, you know they're gonna bring that kind of pressure, you got to have your best free throw shooters handling the ball too. So you know, that's another real key. And, you know, credit Greg Summers last night, he went six for six in the foul line. Um, but John Carter wasn't handling it much late in the game. And, you know, those are the types of things you got to look at, I think, and, and, and think about, um, do you stay with Sean Yoder in the starting lineup? Uh, we're, I, I, you know, we're, we're very loyal to not overreacting and that's the right thing to do. You know, when you win and you lose, you don't want to make too many big changes, but you know, Maybe it's time to tweak something here and, 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 and think about putting Inge in the starting lineup. And I would imagine if you did that, you'd probably move Sean Yoder to the sixth man or, or something like that. So I'm sure everything's on the table for this staff. My perspective, I do share with you, Bill, is that, you know, you, you probably got to have a little more of a true point guard for certain situations, um, particularly in the open court and particularly when you're, you're getting pressed.
4: Well, first of all, what you pointed out, that's basketball 101 against the pressing team is you never throw it into the corner because the baseline becomes a third defender and you're basically surrounded if they double team. So that's basketball 101 and multiple throws into the corner is just pure low basketball IQ. Um, but I agree with you, and I, I think that's the move, in my opinion. Uh, I thought going into the season, Inge would be the starting point guard with Summers and Carter on the wing. And Tyler, Nelson, and Richard and Joko in the front court. I think that's their best spot. Um, but obviously that didn't happen because of Vinge's injury. But he's back now and he needs to be empowered because he is the only true point guard on the team.
0: Mike, it's uh Chris. I, I appreciate the opportunity to you know ask you a few questions and uh and hear your your perspective. Um you guys have done a good job of identifying the X's and O's deficiencies and you know, things that they need to do better and, and may want to try. Um, th- this is a hard question to ask because we, we like everybody associated with this program, but how much of this do you put on in-game coaching? So it's one thing to kind of come in and get outplayed by your opponent. It's one thing to um, kind of have the wrong game plan going in. But when you're up the way Navy has been up um, against Army, against Lehigh, What do they need to do better from a coaching perspective in game to sort of recognize that things aren't going the way they want and to stop the bleeding early before it becomes catastrophic?
2: It's a great question. And it's a delicate question too, Chris, as you, as you say Um, the nature of sports is such that all of us, whether you're in the media, if I'm sort of in the media um, (laughs) or in any role can second guess decisions. I think that one of the things I've noticed over the years that look, the coaches don't shoot a basketball. They don't dribble a basketball. They don't pass a basketball. Desi- they They don't make the actual plays. Right. But they have to do things to help with the psyche of the team. There are obviously the X's and O's right combinations of players, et cetera. The one thing that I've noticed in the two um, losses where teams have come back is that i i i look at maybe the use of timeouts to try to curtail the snowball effect of momentum going down the hill and the train coming at you when you have a big lead you, you know momentum is such a big deal in this whole thing and and sometimes i would question perhaps using timeouts more over the course of a scenario like that to try to curtail what's happening and reinforce perhaps what you know, they want to see the players do in certain situations. I, and in practices, I know this team goes over time and situation time and score. Hey, this much time left on the clock, this situation. The problem is with that is you can only do it so much. You don't feel the momentum of the opposing team and you're doing it against first and second string. And it's a difficult thing. So I think being judicious or a little smarter with perhaps a timeout or two, not waiting for those under media timeouts can maybe calm guys down and help reinforce. I think the other thing is, you know, I don't see a lot of player accountability from the standpoint of the players getting together and saying, Hey, let's go like, do this, do that. Like who's showing the guys like what to do on the floor to reinforce what coach said in the huddle. Right. So I think those are some things Um, I know they've tried to use the zone defense a little bit. I think changing up, you know, in certain situations, the complexion of a game, sometimes playing a zone when you're up could be a helpful thing to do because it tends to slow the game down. And when time's on your side, that's important. Uh, Another thing might be playing. They're not playing not to lose playing to win more a little bit When when we get up I don't think we put the hammer down sometimes and continue to play loose and free, particularly on the offensive end. And, you know, you got to be aggressive. Now, do you want to shoot five, 10 seconds into the shot clock in the possession? No, but you can't wait until the under 10 seconds in the shot clock and have every possession come down to the last five seconds of that possession of the shot clock where you're trying to get a shot. It puts too much pressure on your offense. And this is not a team that scores 70 points plus per game or 75 a game. Right? So if you're offensively a little challenged, I don't like when we bring things down to under 10 seconds late in the game and we're up and it puts all this stress and pressure on making a late possession play.
0: Bill Wagner wants to jump in, but I I, want to just ask one quick uh, follow-up to to this. Um, You know, in our uh, post-game discussion, you know, w- Ward, I-, I think, rightly kind of questioned the path forward for this team and, and questioned, you know, how well they would be able to bounce back and and you know and, and there were some people that criticized that and by saying that you know he had you know prematurely uh, r- written off the the rest of the season. I-, I think if you go back and you listen to that conversation, it was more of a a question of how they would bounce back and and what um, adjustments they would make. From your perspective, um, is this team able to, uh, to kind of, you know, take on board some of the things that you guys have talked about and, and make the adjustments necessary to still be competitive in the Patriot League tournament and perhaps make the uh, NCAA tournament?
2: So, Chris, I think with a lot of what I've talked about are things I'm sure the coaching staff is talking about. Like I said, there's a lot of experience on that bench. Um, a key statistic that I don't know that has been mentioned is after last night, Navy's wins in the Patriot League, their opposing Patriot League opponents' combined record is 16-32. and 32. Their combined win-loss, 16-32. and 32. We've beaten Boston, Holy Cross, Boston twice Holy Cross, Lafayette, American, and Bucknell. They're all the teams that are below us in the standings, and we've done a great job winning those games. We're gonna. Every game we have left, except for Lafayette and Holy Cross, is gonna be against teams that are in the upper half, tied with us or Colgate. Right. So, if you really peel back the onion a little bit and look at it, we've we haven't beaten any of the teams other than Boston University with a winning record yet. So, we've done a great job beating arguably bad teams. Um, We have to find a way to beat. When's the last time we beat a team where we were at an adversity? We, we met some adversity. It was under five minutes in the game, and we were down three or four, and we had to make plays down the stretch to win. Uh, Virginia might be the only game that I can think of. The American game, I would argue that American almost gave that to us in the, last, in the game before Lehigh in the sense of they had their opportunities. They just missed shots. Credit our defense for that, obviously. But w- we have yet to show the intestinal fortitude of being in a 50-50 ball game and coming out on top. The BU game we won on the road, we got up big in the second half and held on to win by seven. I want to see us win a game against a team that's got a winning record in the Patriot League where under five minutes it's tied or we're down and we got to make – the significant winning plays down the stretch. That's what you have to do in March. So at some point you have to prove that you can do it in the regular season. And I've yet to see us do that. So that is one of my biggest concerns going forward is we're playing teams with winning records and we haven't proven the ability to win a tight game where it's a 50, 50 game and we, and you got to make the winning plays down the stretch.
4: So, guys, I just was going to jump in while I was listening to Mike's previous answer to Chris's question. I was scrolling Twitter and my God, the Lehigh comeback was highlighted on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt late night, which means Navy's collapse was low lighted. So that's nothing you want to be part of is a ESPN highlight package with Scott Van Pelt narrating how he blew a 17 point lead. But uh, the last thing I'll say before I pass it back to John to close us out, Mike's 100% right. Navy's got to prove it can beat the good teams in the Patriot League. It starts Saturday at Loyola. Uh, Loyola's in the upper ha- uh, echelon of the league, and that, game's on the, that game is on the road. You can make amends for what happened Wednesday night by beating Loyola. But you know, one thing I will say, and I've noticed that this team has not closed out strong seasons they've had numerous times in the last decade or so that there's been strong regular season runs where they won eight of ten or whatever this team has to prove it can get the job done when it counts at the end of the season which particularly means the patriot league tournament back to you john
1: we've just been taking about 15 minutes talking about the sky is falling, but then you can look at it. And if you told me at the beginning of the year that we beat Virginia on the road, uh, take those experiences with three ACC teams at the very beginning, a very manageable non-conference schedule. And that here we are with seven games left in the season and we're tied for second and we beat Virginia um, tied for second in the Patriot league and overall, yeah, you know, with a pretty impressive 14-8 and record. I think a lot of people would have taken that at the very beginning. Um, so how do you evaluate the evolution from Virginia as the left bookend to the debacle last night as the right bookend? You know, how do you evaluate how this team has grown? What are the surprises and what are the concerns?
2: Yeah, John, I mean, at a 30,000 foot level. You're right. You know, 14 and eight and eight and three on the road and tied for second in the league. Although, you know, when you do a deeper dive, like I mentioned with the statistics of the opponents combined record of the wins, we, wins we have, you know, we're beating the, the, the poor, the, the, the teams with uh poor records, uh, the way we had those two losses, And then the tiebreaker. See, that's the other key thing here is, you know, now you got Lehigh with two wins. They're going to have every tiebreaker over us. So, look, they absolutely, though, have control over where this thing moves forward. And it's a huge game at Loyola on Saturday. They're tied with them by record in the league. They need it because they're going to have Loyola coming back home later in the month. And so it's important to get that first one on the road. And this team is one on the road. Uh, It's I, I think the psyche of this team, I've used that word a few times, it was great that they bounced back with the win against Bucknell after the Army uh, blown lead. But Bucknell is not a very deep team and they don't defend really at all relative to Navy, certainly. So it wasn't like they beat a high-quality team you know, in, in Bucknell. So I, I think this team has to have that higher, qual- higher quality win on, on the road, at home, whatever, in the league, and they can move forward. I, I worry about, Bill made a great point about how they've closed seasons. They have not closed seasons well in February and March, uh, particularly in March in conference tournaments. So my biggest concern moving forward is, how these players react to these situations that have repeatedly failed them in terms of, 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 of turning into losses. So that's, that's really you know, one of my biggest concerns is, is how they handle these time and situations moving forward and learn from them and improve upon them because when you play the teams with winning records in the league the rest of this month, except for Holy Cross and Lafayette, you're going to be playing good teams. Every game is going to come down to that last five minutes, and what do you do? in those moments when it's winning time and Pete and I say that on the air all the time the last five minutes of the first half and the last five minutes of the game are where it, it a lot of games are won and lost obviously so it's um it's 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 an it's going to be an interesting rest of February and again you're trying to play your best basketball going in the conference tournament and right now Navy's not you know, playing their best basketball, so they got to turn that thing around as well to f- to have the confidence to feel like they can absolutely, you know, win the conference tournament.
1: Yep. the ups and downs of the basketball season are significant, and there are going to be many ups and many downs. This is another opportunity as we talk about the merits of the physical mission for uh, for the boys to pick themselves up and get a big win in what I like to call the Mike Heary Super Bowl over the weekend, where. Uh, Your undergrad alma mater and your graduate school alma mater face off. So good luck uh, to me for your fanaticism there. (laughs) I think
2: it's pretty obvious who I'll be uh, rooting for in that one.
1: (laughs) I mean, more enjoyable experience for you, possibly watching both of your alma maters play or sitting with Cassius Winston uh, behind the Michigan State bench and watching Michigan State beat Maryland.
2: Uh, that was, uh, quite an experience for sure. As you can attest, given that we were spending some quality time together. Uh, it was quite a game and give Maryland credit, right? I mean, they were down 15 and, and they came back and played well. Yeah. I will say I, uh, I long missed the days when a Michigan state team would come in and the entire arena would be full. It was a little surprising since I hadn't been to a, a game there in a while to see so many red seats open, but, uh, what an experience um, to be that close to the action for a Big Ten game. And uh, I, I was surprised at how small Cassius Winston is, but I didn't want to ask him to play one-on-one because he is an incredible basketball player. But it was very surprising to see him up close. He was smaller than I expected. They, those guys always look so big on TV when they're, when they're playing great in the NCAA tournament, right?
1: Exactly. Well, it was good to see uh, Navy along Doug Wojcik down there. Obviously, he's a member of the staff for Tom Izzo, Michigan State, so that was cool seeing uh, seeing Navy basketball uh, yeah, history out there in the form of Wojcik and Heary and the rest of the guys, Lookabil and Slacky and Toten. So, Mike, I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, you talked about how empty Exponent Center was. We need everyone out there listening to fill alumni hall on Monday when the mids come back from this roadie up in Baltimore, uh, really big game, seeing Fran O'Hanlon off. We'll talk to Mike a little bit more about his best memories of Fran O'Hanlon, but certainly possibly Fran O'Hanlon's last game in alumni hall uh, based on how uh, Patriot League tournament speeding goes. So, you know, let's fill up alumni hall and give these boys the support they need to come back from this devastating loss. Mike, I'll give you the last word before I take it out.
2: Yeah, John, it's uh, it's so true. You know, uh, you know the environment in Alumni Hall has always been challenging to to you know fill up, and it, it, it was even when I played. But we certainly, with some success, were able to fill the lower bowl, lower bowl of Alumni Hall a lot more. And when that thing is filled and people are showing a lot of energy and enthusiasm, it, it makes a true difference. When you have a a 50 game and maybe you need to draw on some emotion or energy. A crowd, can, a crowd with some energy can really push you through as a player. So you're spot on with respect to, you know trying to get people to come out and watch Navy. They need the support. they deserve it. They are 14 and eight and seven and four in the league, and they're having a good season, and they're right there. and you know some of that, that energy in Alumni Hall can really make a difference. Fran O'Hanlon, I'll just say, is one of the guys, classiest guys in all of college basketball. I have the utmost respect for him. I can't wait to see him one last time. The battles we had uh, in, the, in the mid to late 90s were epic. His teams were always well prepared. He is truly one of the, the great college basketball coaches that many people you know, probably not in this region of the country really know about. I mean, to do what he did for as long as he did at Lafayette and you think about what Lafayette basketball was like before he got there, it's, it's really impressive. And, of course, he's an alum of I'm some alum school. Up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I knew that you were going to close. So I figured I'd just go ahead and say it now. But, uh, yeah, uh, Coach O'Hanlon, is, he's one of the best.
1: Very much. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this is our basketball-centric episode. And so many thanks to Mike Perry for his insight and his analysis. Again, two big games coming up, Saturday at Loyal and then Monday night in Alumni Hall. Let's not forget, if you need something to do on Saturday on the yard, come out and watch the ladies take on Loyal at 4 p.m. in Alumni Hall. And lastly, before we go out, I know Mike Keery remembers his day very well. Ward, of course, had to be an aviator along with Cervello, so they didn't get this experience. But tonight in Alumni Hall is quite another experience other than a basketball game. It is ship selection night. Congratulations to the first seats who are going to go up and pick their ships. What other place out there can you basically name where you're going to be working uh, in February of your senior year of college? Another awesome thing about... The naval academy and of course mike Curie was so high up there in the order of Merit, he decided to pick a small broken frigate out of florida which i thought was a pretty smart move right mike
2: oh yes i mean i had all the choices you could possibly imagine so yeah it was uh it was it was one of whatever was available to me at the time i guess you could say
1: <laughs> well for super swell mike Curie, chris cervello ward carroll and special guest bill Wagner, i am john schofield Let's beat Loyola. Have a great week. We are out.
2: The thoughts
0: and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show. And from time to time, we'll be part of podcast segments.